How's everybody doing this morning? So good to have you here with us. Like Tony said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. I see a new face or two here this morning. So glad to have you with us. Also, anybody who might be listening to us through our website, through our podcast, it's also good to have you listening with us. You're welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. One quick, quick note about next week. We are having our baptism service uh, next week. It's always an exciting time to see people make that public declaration of commitment to Jesus and his community here. And so we just want to celebrate with folks. And so people have been to the baptism class. There might be some of you here today said, hey, I missed the baptism class, but I want to get baptized next week. If that is you, come and talk to me just briefly after service and we'll get you squared away. So that's next week. Come ready to celebrate with those who are being baptized. Well, for those of you who know me, you don't have to know me too well to know that I am a, I'm a music lover. I really enjoy music, and sometimes I get frustrated because I wish that I was better, a better musician. You know, I listen to all this music, and sometimes I get a little frustrated because I wish I was a little better. But one of the things I do constantly, I'm constantly listening to music. My wife could care less about music. In fact, I could take the radio out of her car, and there'd be weeks. She would notice for weeks. Um, but my, my kids and I, we were constantly listening to music. And the only thing better for me than listening to music is actually seeing, like, live music. So this week I had an opportunity to, see, to go to two concerts. I was like, Lord, just take me now. I went to two live shows, some of my favorite artists, and it was just a really good time. So my son and I, on uh, Friday night, we went to see, we went to DeKalb to see uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some of you are familiar with him. Um, I've been listening to his music for almost 30 years, and He's getting up there in age, but he still sounds great. My son, he wasn't into it too much, uh, but I really enjoyed the, the performance. He's been doing it for a long time, just at the top of his game. Just a huge library of songs, and I really enjoyed it. But last night, I went to see Lecrae. Anybody like Lecrae? Uh, Lecrae's like one of the top Christian hip-hop artists. This dude is not corny at all. I mean, I've been listening to Christian hip-hop before it was cool to listen to Christian hip-hop, and we've come a long way, right? And so Lecrae is at the top of his game. Amazing show. Thoroughly Christian. My, my son really enjoyed this show. But I really enjoyed live music. And more than watching live musicians, because I happen to be a musician, I just happen to like watching people who are good at what they do. People who are skilled at what they do. In fact, even if I'm not even interested in the hobby or the craft, I just take a particular interest in watching people who are good at what they do, even if it's like crossing guard. I'm like, man, look at those moves. No accidents today. This is fantastic. You know, or a good craftsman or a woodworker, somebody working on cars. I, get, I, I don't want to do any of that stuff. But to see somebody doing what they're good at really fascinates me. I'm especially fascinated by people who are good at living life. Did you know you could be good at living life? People who have found a rhythm to life, especially folks who have found a rhythm to life, particularly life with God, life with their children, life with the other people in their life. You ever just watch somebody and thought, man, that person has got it together. Not in a silly or superficial way. I'm not talking about somebody who's just got power and opulence and wealth and people listen to them just because uh, they're successful by the world. So I'm talking about somebody who really gets it. Somebody who's skilled at their life. And I tell you, at this stage in my life, more than anything, I want to be good at life. I want to be good at life. I want to be skilled in all the ways that matter the most. I want to be good at life, and I think that God wants us to be good at life as well. For those of you who are new or visiting with us, uh, you might be excited to learn that our theme for the year is simply lean in. Lean in to all that God has for us. Lean in to all that God wants for us. And we've been saying week after week since the beginning of the year that if you lean into uh, God's direction, if you lean toward Jesus, everything that you need is in that direction. Wisdom is in that direction. Love is in that direction. Wholeness, healing. If you're single, your significant other, it, the right one is in that direction. Whatever you need is in the direction of Jesus Christ. And if you just lean toward him, you'll be all right. But in keeping with that theme of lean in, last week we started a series that we simply were calling Increasing Your Capacity. This whole idea of capacity 
can't really be divorced from this whole idea of leaning in. And we defined capacity last week as the maximum amount that something can contain, the amount that something can produce, capacity. We also said that we'll only pour out what's already in us. We'll only pour out what's already in us. And we also said that what is in us is certainly limited to our capacity. In other words, you will never contain more than your container can hold. You'll never contain more than what your container can hold. And so it's in our best interest if we want to be good at life, especially if we're not quite there yet, uh, that we want to be constantly finding new ways to increase our capacity. I read a quote last week by Tom Northup, who's a management expert, and Tom says this, we're perfectly designed to get the results that we're currently getting right now, but if we want different results, we must change. In other words, Tom is saying, if you just want to get the same results that you've been getting for the last 30 years, don't change a thing. Just do what you're doing, make the same decisions you've been making, eat the same way you've been eating, spend your money the same way that you've been spending, because after all, it's been working, you know, to get what you're getting right now. But if you want something different, if you want something better, if you want to go higher, um, you're going to have to change some things. You're going to have to tweak some things. And what's sad is that we wrongly conclude that we're just stuck with who we are. And this, I, I am who I am, I'm just stuck, I can't go higher than this, I can't run faster than this, I can't go farther than this, I am who I am. Well, I got good news for you. Uh, when I look at Scripture, it shows us countless ways that we uh, can increase our capacity. I mean, you may be stuck in the body that you're in, you might not be a marathon runner, you might not compete in the Olympics, you might not do some of these wild things, but in the areas of life that matters most... My Bible shows me and tells me that we can increase our capacity. We look at the Bible from cover to cover, from Moses in the Old Testament to the disciples and the apostles in the, in the New Testament. We see that as people walk and talk with Jesus, as they surrender their hearts and their lives to him, that something miraculous happens. Their capacity grows. Moses could hardly speak. He gave God all sorts of excuses as to why he couldn't be his oracle. He couldn't be his prophet. He couldn't be his man. And God says, listen, just walk with me, son, and I'll straighten it out as you go. The disciples, as I said last week, could barely pray for people. They could barely endure and stay up the night and pray. But as they walked and talked with Jesus before it was over, they were turning the whole world upside down. What happened? Their capacity increased as they walked and talked with Jesus. And the same could happen with us. And so last week we began this series by talking about increasing your capacity to love. Listen, love is where it all starts. And we looked at the definition of love, and that is none other than God. God is the standard for love. We showed how God uh, sort of displayed that love and showed that love and expressed that love to us, and he calls us to love in the same way. And as we love in the same way, our capacity for love grows and everything changes. And so this week, I want to continue the series by talking about another important aspect of life, specifically that I feel like we all need to increase our capacity for. You've read your bulletin by now. And I want to talk about wisdom. I want to talk about wisdom. Wisdom, by the way, is one of my favorite subjects, mainly because it's just so central to the good life. It's so central to our desire and our pursuit to be good at living. Wisdom is simply defined as the quality of having experience knowledge and good judgment, the ability to make good decisions, not just make good decisions here and there, but to consistently make good decisions based on the proper discernment and knowledge. Now, wisdom is often confused with knowledge. Knowledge is something different. Knowledge is simply just the practical know-how necessary for handling everyday stuff. Knowledge is facts. It's information. It's skills. But wisdom applies knowledge. Wisdom takes experience and applies it. It takes knowledge and applies it. It takes good judgment and applies it. It puts those things to work in our lives so that we can begin to live the good life, so that we can begin to be good at living. I heard a simpler definition of wisdom that I often use. Uh, wisdom simply is defined as skill in living. You want to be good at, li- uh, at life You want to be skilled at it. You want to take the combination of experience, knowledge, good judgment, and put them to work in your life. That is the essence of wisdom. That's the essence of wisdom. And so when we look at Scripture, we find that our 
goal in life is to love God and to love others. Right? It seems simple enough. If it were truly that simple, then we'd all be doing well at it, right? What do we need in order to do that right? We need God's wisdom. We need his insight. We need his knowledge. We need all that stuff in order to live life well. Because if it's true that we were created to love God and to love people, what we would find is that if we get busy doing that, then there's a functionality and ease to our life that we can't get doing anything else. You heard me say over and over and over that when you do with your life what you were made for, there's an ease to life. There's a functionality to it that you can't get by any other means. And some of you say, Man, why is my life so hard? Why does it feel like I've been walking uphill for the last 30 years? My guess, just taking a guess, is that you're doing something with your life that you were never intended to do. You're using your life in a way uh, that you were never intended to use it for. So God's wisdom is his gift to us, a manual of sorts. And when we seek it and when we ask for it and we apply the wisdom of God, we become wise. And when we become wise, we become skilled at living this life as God intended. The truth is that life is hard for a fool. And some of you won't say amen publicly because you might expose yourself, but secretly you know that life is hard for you right now. And it's not because you've been oppressed. It's not because somebody's taking advantage of you. It's not because you've just been dealt a bad hand. If you were honest today, some of you would say, my life has been hard because I've been a fool. My life has been hard because I consistently make poor decisions. I consistently forsake God's wisdom. I consistently choose on the basis of now, and my life is hard because of it. It's true that life is hard for a fool. Some of you experience this in a small area of your life, and others of you experience this in sweeping measures all throughout your life. Well, I think that God wants to deal with that today. I think you have to leave out the same way that you came, right? So you say, okay, wisdom is great. Where do I find it? I think there, you know, the main ways we find wisdom is through the Bible. One of the main ways we find wisdom is through the Word of God. In fact, there's a certain section of the Bible that's called the wisdom literature. It includes books of the Bible like Job, Ecclesiastes, portions of the book of Psalms, and even a book called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. But lots and lots of wisdom is found in a very popular book of the Bible simply called Proverbs. Many of you are familiar with Proverbs. And so we're going to look at a little bit of Proverbs this morning in an attempt to help us understand uh, just how we can increase our capacity for wisdom. I'm going to discuss four ways to increase our capacity for wisdom, but before I do that, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to stand before your people and to preach uh, your, your gospel and to share your wisdom with those who have leaned in this morning. Lord, we could be any place in the world right now where we've chosen, Lord, to, to be in your house this morning, worshiping with your people, hearing uh, valuable uh, instruction from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless our effort to lean in this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would speak life to us this morning, that you would speak uh, your wisdom and your truth to us, Lord. Even if it might challenge us, even might prick us a little bit, Lord, we, we give you permission to speak to us in the way that you see fit. Lord, put power on these words that you've given me to speak this morning so that your truth, your light might shine through. Lord, put, uh, move the preacher out of the way this morning, God. May I be your vessel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Four ways to increase your capacity for wisdom so that you can live the good life, so you can be skilled at living. The first is to fear the Lord. First is to fear the Lord. You know, I sound like a broken record oftentimes when I talk about wisdom because I always talk about this because the Bible tells us that this is the very beginning of where wisdom starts. You can try to be smart. You can try to be cunning. You can try to be crafty. You can follow the gurus. But you won't be wise if you don't fear the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to read that. Feel free to turn there with me if you have your Bibles with, me, with you. We'll also be projecting this on the screens. But Proverbs chapter 1, just the opening verses of this faithful book, just gives us a, a helpful understanding of why the book of Proverbs is necessary. It reads this way, verse 1. These are the, pro, the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom 
and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wives. The purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. So let the, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Get this, verse 7. But fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of true knowledge or wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. I'll read that again. Fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of true knowledge or true wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So in the opening verses of the book of Proverbs, it tells us why wisdom is important, particularly why this book of the Bible is important. It tells us that this is important. It's necessary to teach wisdom. Wisdom is out there. If you need wisdom, there needs to be a vehicle or mechanism by which you are taught that, by which you learn it. And so the Proverbs is one of those vehicles. It says that it will help us live successful lives. It says the goal of wisdom, particularly the wisdom literature, is to help give insight to the simple. And in case you're wondering who the simple is, that's, that's me and you. I mean, some of you, somebody called you simple, man. You know, that's like, let's go outside, you know. Let's deal with this. Um, but I don't think the text is intending to insult us. I don't think he's, you know, intending to belittle us or to make us feel bad about ourselves. Uh, but he's just keeping it real. Even Jesus calls us sheep. That's not a very flattering term. But the goal is to highlight the fact that we are lost without God's wisdom. I know you think you're smart. I know you got degrees and all sorts of things, and your mother's been telling you, you know, since you were just a baby how bright you were. And you, we'll go with that. But in the ways that matter most, as it relates to the world, as it relates to how God wants us to work things out, we're just, we're rather simple. We don't quite see a large enough picture. We, we, we tend to miss it. We tend to, you know, be, you know, be foggy about the things that matter most. And so this wisdom is helpful for us to give insight to the simple. That's you and me. But verse 7 tells us where we need to start. Fear of the Lord. And I talk about this a lot, mainly because it's so important and also because it's easy to misunderstand what fear of the Lord means. Fear, you know, you know, when we think fear, we think scared. Like we're watching a horror film, like, oh, I'm frightened or I'm, I'm terrified that something bad is going to happen to me. And I will say that there's an element uh, as it relates to the fear of God. There's an element of that worked into the fear that we tremble before a holy God. We, we tremble before his might and power. And especially as fallen, broken, sinful people, we know that our sin separates us from God. We know that our sin uh, uh, is something that God hates. He doesn't hate us, but he hates our sin. And so it's with fear and trembling that we come before a holy God. I tell you, as a kid, I came to Christ not because the preacher preached well, not because, you know, I just wanted to dance on the streets of gold for the rest of my life. I came to Christ because I didn't want to go to hell. They showed us that video in, in the youth group and I thought, where do I sign up so I don't go there? <laughs> and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think the movie was called The Burning Hell. Why they showed that to us, I think we were about five or six. I don't know. But it worked. And I've been saved ever since. But I came into the kingdom of God uh, not to pursue God's goodness and his glory, but to escape something that I was afraid of. I feared hell, and this fear of hell kept me saved, you know, as a young adult. Um, but I realized that, you know, it's important to have a fear of hell. In fact, one of my jobs as a preacher is to let you know and to constantly remind you that hell is real, and that at the end of our life, there will be, uh, we will all have an opportunity to answer to our Creator for how we live this life. And the Scripture tells us that for those of us who've been faithful, for those of us who've lived according to God's principles and lived according to his love, we will in, enjoy eternity with him. But for those of us who've rejected this message, there is an eternal penalty for that, and it's hell. It's a real place. It's legit. 
Now, some of you might ask, is it really like what is described in the Bible? Is it really fire and gnashing of teeth? Probably. Tim Keller was asked this question, and somebody said, hey, is hell like fire and brimstone? Is that figurative for something? And Tim Keller said it probably is, and he said the person looked relieved. He said, wait, 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 wait. Make, make no mistake. If it is figurative for something, it's figurative for something much worse. All to say that hell is legit, and you should, you should loathe the, 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 the idea of going there. But I don't think that'll keep you saved for the long haul. I don't think it'll, 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 it'll cause you to pursue the good life and the fullness of God's glory. It won't cause you to be wise. I think that if you're thinking about hell, you'll make, you know, good decisions here and there when that's at the forefront of your thinking. But that's not particularly the thing that's going to keep you abiding in Christ. It's not going to keep you abiding in Christ. The fear of God's wrath and punishment is, is, is helpful, it's necessary, but that's not the main thing. What the Proverbs point to is this fear of God that causes us to revere him, to, to, to look at him like a long, young child looks at his father and just uh, longs for his acceptance, uh, longs for his approval, and longs to be pleasing to him and, and worships him. This is, this is what fear of the Lord looks like. There's a component of trembling to it. There's a component of reverence to it. But there's honor. There's respect. There's like, I dare not upset this God. I dare not disappoint this God. I worship this God. This is what fear of the Lord looks like. To give you an earthly example, Eugene Allison. That's my name, but I'm Eugene II. Eugene Allison I was my father. And you didn't want to mess with this dude. I feared my father in every meaningful sense of that word. You didn't want him coming up to the school, you know, for any reason. You know, even if you were good, you're afraid that something, you know, some bad thing might slip out and you'd be in trouble. I did not want to relate to my father on the discipline tip. He just did not play. He didn't play at all. But on the other side of that coin, I, I worshiped the ground that he walked on. He was, he was my hero, man. I had so much honor and, and respect for him, and more than not wanting to get in trouble, I did not want to disappoint him. I honored him so much that, you know, his opinion of me, his thoughts toward me mattered a great deal. I didn't want to let him down. I not only wanted to meet his expectations of me, but I wanted to exceed it, not because he, you know, would, would, would make me so afraid to mess up, but because I loved him, I, I looked up to him, I honored him, I revered him, I feared him in every meaningful sense of the word. And some of us sadly complicate fear of the Lord because we haven't had a good earthly example of someone that we fear, somebody that we revere in a way that causes us to not only fear, you know, you know getting into trouble or punishment or discipline, but we haven't had a deep reverence for somebody. And I think that that's one of the great tragedies of this world, the great tragedies of broken families, the great tragedies of single-parent homes is because we don't get the picture of what a loving, wholesome relationship with our Father looks like so that we can translate that to a heavenly Father, a good and perfect God. And so some of you are trying to make this connection without having the benefit of what I had growing up. And it's hard, but it's possible. And I'm trying to explain it to you right now. So you want to live the good life. You want to be good at life. You want to be skilled at life. It all starts with a fear of the Lord. It all starts with a fear of the Lord. That's number one. Number two, if you want to be, uh, increase your capacity for wisdom, you have to ask for wisdom. You have to ask for wisdom. Not enough to, to fear the Lord. That's a good start. That's a necessary start. But you have to ask for wisdom. You have to seek it out. You have to actively seek it out. I love how the psalmist says uh, that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Another translation says that goodness and mercy will chase me down. I love that. If there's anything you want to be chased by is goodness and mercy. You ever been chased by something that you, you didn't want to be caught by? But if there's anything that's want to chase me down, it's God's goodness 
and mercy. One thing you want to be overtaken by is God's goodness and mercy. But, but, but wisdom doesn't quite work that way. Wisdom doesn't chase you down. Wisdom doesn't overtake you. Wisdom doesn't barge into your life and impose itself on you. You have to go after it. You have to seek it out. You have to move some stuff in order to uncover it. You got to make some space in your life for it. You have to choose it over other alternatives. Wisdom must be pursued. It must be asked for. It must be sought out. And some of you are familiar with King Solomon's story as told in 2 Chronicles, where the Lord asked King Solomon, hey, what do you want? Let me read that in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. I'll start at verse 7. That night God appeared to Solomon, King Solomon, this is David's son, and said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Now, just pause for a second. If, you know, this is kind of like a dream come true. This is better than a genie. It's like, the Lord says, hey, here's a blank check. Ask me for what you want. And some of us would just be ashamed to say out loud what we would ask for. But let's look at what Solomon asked for. Verse 8, Solomon replied to God, You showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. O Lord, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom. This is what he's asking for. Give me the wisdom and the knowledge to lead them properly, for who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. He says, listen, write your own ticket. Write your own ticket. What do you want from me, the God that has deep pockets, the God that has infinite supply? And so I could think of a number of things that I would have asked for, maybe, you know, tons of things that Solomon could have asked for. He said, give me wisdom, give me knowledge that I might lead your people, that I might be a good, honorable king. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Is that what you would ask for if God just sort of writes you a blank check? Is that what you would ask for? The truth that we uncover as we read Solomon's story is that if you seek wisdom, the rest will follow. I'm just struck at how wisdom just changes the whole game. You know any wise people? You know any wise people? They just seem to have other areas of life just together. Because if you're wise, you'll be kind. You'll know how to treat people. If you're wise, you'll probably have a little bit of money uh, because you'll know how to steward it. If you're wise and if you're truly wise, you'll probably start to take care of your body. If you're wise, then your relationships will be intact. And so Solomon, he, he was on to something. He said, if I only get one, I only get one thing. Some of you are like, I can the Powerball. If I get all that money, I could just do this. I could pay this person. I buy my mom a house. But, 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 but Solomon understood if I had wisdom, if I knew how to govern God's people and manage my own life and, and manage my own affairs, then all of the other things in life would find a way to fall into place. Jesus says almost the same thing in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says what? Seek the kingdom of of heaven and uh, first and everything will be added. In other words, make what's important to God important in your whole life and just watch how things begin to fall into place. For those of us who, who, who seek wisdom and who have dispatched it in our lives, for those of us who seek the kingdom first, we know firsthand that this works. Proverbs 4 Verse 6 and 7 says, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get wisdom. Get understanding. Seek it out. Pursue it. 
Uncover it. And so my question to you today is, what are you doing to get wisdom? What are you doing to get wisdom? You know, there's a certain altitude to wisdom. Wisdom isn't hanging out in dark corners at low altitude. You've got to go up to get it. And some of you are living foolishly right now, not because you're a bad person, not because you're just terrible and, you know, you're you're worthless. That's not the case at all. But for some reason, you just refuse to go up to get it. You, You refuse to look up to get it. You're looking in the mirror. You're looking at people with money. You're looking at the wrong things. You've got to go after it. What are you doing to get wisdom? You say, help me out, preacher. I'll tell you a few ways you can get some wisdom. One is prayer. One is prayer. James uh, says it very clearly, James says, one, if, if any of you lack wisdom, any of you lack wisdom, what? Call, call Miss Cleo. You know, some of you, anybody remember Miss Cleo? You lack wisdom, just, you know, call the hotline. No, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He has an infinite supply. He's eager. He's waiting by the phone, the proverbial phone of prayer, so that you can ask him. Prayer, a neglected virtue. Scripture, reading the Bible. Listen, if you lack wisdom, it's full of practical wisdom in plain language, not to mention lots of scenarios and circumstances where God's people have acted wisely and both acted foolishly. So we can learn from both the good and the bad, right? Scripture, sound teaching and preaching. Hopefully you find that here. Plenty of ways to seek wisdom. But one really great way is through the counsel of other people, and that's the third way that we're going to increase our capacity for wisdom is that we're going to allow wise people to speak into our lives. Allow wise people to speak into our lives. And some of you, you got the fear of the Lord right. You go, fear the Lord. I, I got that right. You say, you know, I, I, I followed the other step in, um, you know, seeking wisdom, you know, through the scriptures, through prayer. I listen to lots of sermons and podcasts, but some of us have just neglected the, the, the tremendous value of having real people that you can see and touch speak into your life. Real people that you can see and touch speak into your life. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me is he's given me wise men and women to speak into my life. And when I look back over my life, at every leg of this journey, there's been somebody there, somebody there to speak truth to me, to speak righteous truth to me. And lots and lots of times, I didn't want to hear it. Lots and lots of times, what they had to say to me cut me open. It would cut me open. But it's one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me, faithful men and women at every leg of my journey to speak truth to me, to speak wisdom to me, to encourage me as I was traveling well. But when I was traveling wrong, they say, hey, somebody, what's going on? What are you doing? And guess what? Sometimes these people came and found me. But oftentimes, I had to go and find them. Oftentimes, I had to seek out somebody who had what I was looking for, somebody who was what I wanted to be, and just keep calling them until they finally pick up the phone, maybe call from somebody else's phone in case they had me locked in. (laughs) Say, listen, I need what you have. Would you just give me five minutes? Would you just cup of coffee with me? Just can we meet monthly? I need, I need some wise counsel in my life. Often I had to go and find them. But some wise people speak into my life. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20. Get all the advice and instruction you can so that you will be wise for the rest of your life. Get all of it that you can so that you can be wise for the rest of your life. Proverbs 12, uh, can you go to the next one? 12, one, to learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. That's in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. I, I'm just reading it to you. To learn you must love discipline. You must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Stupid to hate correction. 
And some of you have fixed your life so that there's only people around you who pat you on the back, who give you attaboys, which, by the way, is necessary. But if I could only, you know, if I could have attaboys or, you know, the, the, the correction and discipline, if I had to pick one, I would choose the latter. I see people all the time. Well, I'm deleting people, that, you know, I'm, so I'm deleting people who don't agree with me. They, they don't say that explicitly, but that's what they mean. And so you've fixed the nest of your life so that it's only cushion, it's only feathers, it's only people stroking your ego. Listen, that's why, you're, that's why you've been circling the block for the last 30 years. The same habits and hang-ups and issues. That's why people have been spotting you $20 bills for the, for, for the last three or four decades because no, you've not let anybody into your life that can tell you about your poor spending and money management. That's why you're on all sorts of medications because you've just been eating yourself to death because you haven't let anybody speak into your life. And so if you want to increase your capacity for wisdom, if you want to add another spigot that is pouring into your life, the wise counsel of God, the wise counsel of how life in this world works, you have to allow people to speak into your life. And so I ask you today, who's... Who's speaking into your life? Who's speaking into your life? This is really, really important, man. This is really, really important. Who's in your ear? Who's in your ear? This makes all the difference in the world. I find myself asking people all the time because when you're a preacher, like people tell you their business. And people assume, hopefully they rightly assume, that we have some answers and that we have some way that might. And so I find myself more and more these days questioning people. Who's in your ear? Who are you listening to? Uh, who are you listening to? You're, here you are. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to put your marriage back together, but your cabinet are all bitter, like single, thrice divorced. I mean, that's a terrible. You got to fire them. Who, who's in your ear? Who, who's in your inner circle? Some of you are good people. You're, you're smart people. You're motivated. And, but the noose around your neck is your circle. The noose around your neck is who's in your ear. And they don't mean you any harm. And they're telling you what they think is right. But they haven't surveyed their own life to see if this advice is any good. But that's your job. You're supposed to look around the room of their life to see if the advice that they're giving you has done them any good. You know what, Gino, I think you should do so-and-so. Just a second, man. Let me just peek in your life. No, man, I don't think you, I don't think you qualify. I don't think you qualify. I don't think you qualify. Who's in your ear? Who's talking to you? I'm always amused by the people who, who, who have all the advice to give. I think they mean well, but they just need to go work on themselves. The people in your life that you've granted permission to speak truth to you. Listen, most people won't assume that they have the liberty to speak truth into your life. At least the the good quality people that you want speaking truth into your life, they won't impose upon you, generally speaking. And what I've found when I have to search out for people, when I have to, to, to find and uncover wisdom and uncover people who I've allowed to speak in my life, I've had to explicitly give them permission to say, listen, anything you see in my life, you can go for it. That doesn't mean that I have to do everything that you say. But anything that you see in my life, as it relates to my marriage, as it relates to my preaching, the way I'm running my ministry, the men and women that I trust, I said, listen, go for it log on to our website, listen to my son. I would love the feedback. I, I would love the feedback. And so for you today, who have you explicitly given permission to speak into your life? You know, we can have such a thick skin when it comes to this. But what if you knew that you won't grow, you won't change, you won't be transformed unless somebody tells you stop from time to time? Unless somebody tells you no from time to time. 
There's people all the time, they bring their family to church, and they say, Mom, this is my pastor, or this is my brother, this is my pastor. What I want to say is, I'm not, I'm not your pastor. I'm not, not, not your pastor, because you don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm the pastor of the church you go to. But I'm not really your pastor until I told you, don't, don't do that, please, don't do that. And you've responded well to it. If I've come to you with gentle correction and say, can you help me understand why you did that or why you said that? And we don't really do that here. And you respond well, then, then you can introduce me as your pastor because I, you've given me license to, to speak into your life. Again, listen, I got three kids. I don't need any more kids. And so I've just had it with parent, parental preachers that want to run your life. I just don't have time. You're a fine person, I'm sure, but I, I got enough to do. So I'm not looking to run your life. I'm talking about spiritual authority. I'm talking about the license that you've given me as a pastor to speak into your life. I'm not your pastor unless you've, given me, unless you've granted me that. You understand what I'm saying? And so in the same way, we have to grant people permission to speak truth to us. And some of you, as you sit there, you go, my goodness, no wonder I'm not getting any righteous truth. No matter what, I've been circling the mountain, you know, for 40 years. And some of you got to really do business with this reality. You got to do business with this. We got to allow wise people to speak into our life. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise for the rest of your life. Allow the wise, the wise, to speak into your life. Fourth and final thing today how to increase our capacity for wisdom. Consider tomorrow. Consider tomorrow. What's one of our biggest problems is broken, fallen, sinful humans? I mean, you, long list. Uh, but I think one of the biggest ones is just short-sightedness. Just short-sightedness. Just a preoccupation with right now, what feels good in this moment. Uh, you know, I'm angry in this moment, so I'm just going to let it rip. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling these impulses and I, this desire right now. I'm just going to let it rip and just let the chips fall where they may. Well, you've been doing that for the better part of your life. And how's that worked out for you? How's that worked out for you? There's chips everywhere because you've just let them fall where they may. Short-sightedness. But get this, wisdom always asks this very important question. Don't you ever forget it. Wisdom always asks, what about tomorrow? Uh, what about tomorrow? I, I know you're angry right now. I know you want to get some things off your chest right now. I know you want to just speak your mind right now. But wisdom will say, just wait, just wait, just wait. What about tomorrow? What, what, how is this going to impact tomorrow? Wisdom says, I know the sister is fine. I know she... I know she's fine. I know she's the baddest one in the school. And, and she wants you to come over later tonight. I know, listen, I know you got it all planned out, all your moves and everything, but, but, but how, how is this going to affect your tomorrow? Listen, I know you want to co-sign for your cousin on that car. <laughs> I know, he, you know he said he'll pay you back with interest. <laughs> I'll let that marinate for a little bit. But what about Tomorrow. What about tomorrow? I know you don't want to pay the student loan bill. I mean, you know, what's another, what's another month? What's another year? You know, just what, what about tomorrow? I know you want to date that guy who's not a Christian. You know, he's a good guy. You know, he's got nice teeth and everything. But what, what about tomorrow? Like, what about when, you know, you fall in love with this guy? What about, you know, when you try to decide what you want to, you get married and, you know, you got to choose jointly what you do with your money, the values you raise your kids. But what, what about tomorrow? Wisdom is always asking us to consider tomorrow. I was talking with a brother in the church who uh, plays billiards, plays pool, and he said, he, we were talking about the difference between good pool players and great pool players. He said the good pool players know how to get the ball in the hole. They know how to shoot. And I, I thought it was pretty good because I know how to do that. He said, but the pros know how to shoot and get the ball in the hole, but they know how to hit it in such a way where they, where they line the cue ball up for the next shot. And so I think that's a perfect way to describe how wisdom calls out to us to make decisions in life. 
So the enemy, he, he, he's always rushing you. He's always trying to tell you what you're going to lose if you don't act right now. He's always pressuring you. Now, God doesn't really pressure people. Like if you're feeling pressured, if you're feeling pushed into something, that's usually not God. Satan's always trying to get you to choose quickly and not think about the long term, not zoom out. And wisdom always says, just, just, just take a deep breath. Let's fast forward the tape. Let's see how this plays out. If I, if I say this thing, if I dispatch these words into the atmosphere, fast forward the tape. Let's, let's play this out. How is this going to work out? If I sleep with this person, if I give myself to this person, how is this going to play out? If I share this article on Facebook, just reckless, how, how's that going to land on people, you know, concerning that topic? If I just fire off an angry re- email or response... Wisdom says, fast forward to think, how is this going to impact? How is this going to impact tomorrow? I found that the older I get, if, and this is, should be true for you, if, you, if you're doing life right, as you get older, you should find that there is more riding on your tomorrows. The older I get, if I'm leaning in, if I'm moving toward Jesus, the older I get, the more tomorrow matters. And some of us, we've been arranging it such that, you know, we're reducing responsibilities and we're trying to unload stuff. But I think if you're doing this right, the older you get, the more tomorrow matters. And so I often have to ask myself, how is this going to impact my tomorrow? I'm, I'm humbled when I see three little sets of eyes l- looking up at me looking up at me, not just actually, just because they're shorter than I am, but looking up at me because I'm their father. Uh, looking to me, I, 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 you know, I have to choose differently when I consider that. I have to choose differently. There's been literally times where I wanted to respond to somebody in a certain way or to say a certain thing, or my wife and I are into it, and I want to say something, and I just you never felt somebody looking at you? And you turn around and a few sets of eyes on you go, I, I got I to gotta choose differently. Because I fast forward, fast, fast forward the tape. I fast forward the tape. There's a lot riding on my tomorrow. And so often I have to, and I said this before, I have to rehearse the consequences of my actions. I have to rehearse the consequences of me falling into an, uh, an affair and just consider what that would do to my wife. Consider what that would do to this church. Consider what it would do to my children and to the good name that I built for myself and the good name and reputation that we have for this church. I, I have to ask, how is this going to impact tomorrow? And this is really important for a person like me because I grew up in a place where uh, you just you defended yourself. You didn't want to appear weak. It didn't matter about, you know, the, the, the larger principles of life. You just needed to prove to people that you weren't scared. And so you learn to respond quickly and to have your overriding principle be something just really shallow. But the older I get, the more I realize that being scared and having a lot to lose looks the same to the untrained eye. A lot of times... Uh, people are responding or drawing back from things because they're afraid. But now I see as I got a lot to lose, as my tomorrow really matters, sometimes I don't engage in stuff just because I have more to lose than the, than the fool on the other end of the argument. I'm in a grocery store and somebody bumps me. I'm like, man, do you know, do you know who I am? Somebody want to try me? I say, man, listen, I'm not scared of you, dude. I'm not backing down because I'm scared. It's just that I got a lot to lose. I I don't need to be fighting on YouTube. That's just not going to be good for business. (laughs) I don't need to go viral in that way. You know, there was a a few few years ago, got into this Facebook exchange with somebody who had accused me of being sort of cowardly or something like that. And finally, I just challenged the guy. I said, listen, man. I said, listen, you don't have anybody to answer to. I think I had plenty of people to answer to. I answered to my board. I answered to the movement, the vineyard movement. I answered to our church. 
And so I have to be thoughtful about what I say on here. I say, you've got nobody to answer to. You can play fast and loose with the facts. You can say whatever you want because tomorrow you'll answer to yourself. But people who lead large groups of diverse, you know, large groups of diverse groups, we, we have somebody to answer to tomorrow. Somebody's going to say, hey, come, why did you post that? That was really out of character. That was really unhelpful. That really didn't paint a Christian picture. I've got, I've got a tomorrow. And so some of you are in a bad shape today because you, you just rarely consider, you rarely consider tomorrow. You fly off at the mouth because you're not considering tomorrow. You lash out in anger because you haven't considered tomorrow. You overspend and you overeat because you haven't considered tomorrow. And wisdom always asks, what about tomorrow? How's this going to play out tomorrow? How's this going to play out tomorrow? And so as we put this all together, we ask, what's the big picture? Worship team, you can come up. The big picture is what I stated earlier. Life is hard for a fool. Life is hard for a person who lacks wisdom, who has a limited capacity for, for wisdom. Life is hard for a fool, and some of you, your life is hard. And even if your life isn't super hard, some of your life is harder than it should be. Some of your life is harder than it has to be. And what the Lord would say to you today is, are you, are you ready to yield to wisdom? Are, are you ready to try it my way? Are you ready to allow something bigger, wiser, grander than yourself to drive just for a few miles just so you can see that this is the way to go? that this is the way to live. And so the way we increase our capacity for wisdom is that we fear the Lord. We revere him. We honor him. We ask for wisdom. We seek it out. We turn over stones to find it. We move some things out of our way to make space for it. We, we seek it out. We increase our capacity for wisdom by asking and inviting wise people to speak in our life, to be on record and say, listen, we give you permission to speak righteous truth to me. And finally, we increase our capacity for wisdom by considering tomorrow. By considering tomorrow. And so if we just took a test today and on the basis of these four things, you would just score, you would just give yourself a score. How, how'd you do? Don't answer out loud. How'd you do? Now, if you got a zero... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That simply just means that you've got some work to do. And some of you, even as we close, you'll find that you'll need to come up and get prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to, to engage in this, 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 this journey with you as you lean into wisdom, as you pursue it, as you increase your capacity for wisdom, knowing that if you grow in wisdom, it'll change your entire life. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much, Lord, that you call us towards you um, because you know that every good thing you have for us, you have in your hands the good life, and all we have to do is come and partake. So, Lord, would you help us to fear you? Would you help us to seek out wisdom? Would you help us to grant people permission to speak to our lives? And, Lord, would you give us the foresight, the wisdom to look ahead and consider tomorrow? And Lord, for those of us who lack wisdom, for those of us who consistently act and choose foolishly, Lord, I pray that as we worship, Lord, you would draw near to us, that you would draw close to us, that you would give us what we need. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.